Coming to you from upstate New York, and I am pleased to be joined today by the one and only Todd Anderson. Todd, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on, Britt. It's a real honor to be in your upstate New York show. Uh, uh, where in upstate New York are you bunkered? I'm just outside of uh, the Lake George area, Glens Falls, New York. So, so are you with uh, in-laws, relatives? Who, who's up there? I mean, you have a place in, in the city, right? Yes, yes. We were, sequ- we were in New York City up until uh, this past weekend, and we come up here because uh, I have a brother-in-law and his family up here, and there's not nearly as many sick people, not to mention rioters. So, uh, you know, we decided it would be a good time to get out of the old city. <laughs> okay. Were you the victim of uh, looting or something? Were you looted? No, no. I, I was worried that I might get looted because uh, I have a very extensive mm. comic book collection. I might be interested in it. So, like, that was, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, and how are things out there? Um, well, you know, I live in Ventura County, um, and it's it's there's not a lot happening on the suburban streets of Simi Valley, to be honest with you. Uh, we haven't had rioting. We did have a peaceful protest uh, on behalf of the Black Lives Matter movement here, which was nice to see. Um, uh, uh, but other than that, no. But it, like I, I, but people protest and I get confused because they're all close. Protest? No, because uh, I have a very uh, high risk relative um, who stays with us half the week, and I don't feel like it's a good idea for me to expose myself to the COVID nineteen virus. Um, so I'll, I'll, I, I did not go. I was torn, though. I really was. I just thought it might be because you're too white. I don't know. I just, I, I don't <laughs> well, there's a lot of uh, white folk in Simi Valley who uh, were at the protest. Uh, uh, so that's, that's good. Um, I'm, it's not that I'm too white. Uh, I mean, I am too white. That's, not, that's, not a, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, I, I would like to support uh, the, the movement and, and do in, in ways, uh, virtual ways, but I can't, I'm just, uh, I can't go out into crowds right now. There's a friggin' pandemic. I, I you know, I, like it's so weird because we went from these absolutely ridiculous protests where uh, white people were screaming to have their barbers open and, and their restaurants open and all this nonsense and their nail salons open. And I just thought that was crazy to protest and expose yourself to the virus for that. This one is, doesn't seem crazy. It seems necessary. But um, but it's just it's horrifying to me that people have to take to the streets because a black guy was murdered uh, by a cop during a pandemic. I mean, it just... It, the whole thing is deeply frustrating and frightening, and I hate it. Um, yes. And so that's it's that. Been made even more frustrated by the people who can't really tell the difference between the two and can't see why one was not necessary while the other one seems very necessary. That is also yeah, it is deeply and utterly frustrating. And then, and this one, unlike the last one, the one that wasn't necessary, where people brought guns to protest because they wanted their nail salons to open up, um, there there wasn't any uh, uh, military response from the federal government, and now we got 
we got tanks everywhere and jeeps and soldiers and national guardsmen everywhere and friggin i was seeing pictures of in dc now there's uh, all kinds of uh military and police officers who aren't wearing uniforms who are yeah. marching around on the streets uh um and it, like no badges no names just it's it's so creepy it's friggin it's 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 fascist it's fascism it's terrifying to me oh yeah oh yeah yeah uh, but uh, the whole thing like the whole uh it's just this milieu of of unnecessary situations piled on top of each other and it's taxing it's taxing to everyone here it's taxing to everyone there it's just uh it's a weird times man yeah, I yeah, and it, it's like this. It isn't just this year. I mean, it's been all these years leading up to this year uh, since 2016. You know, uh, and and before, but like I I constantly feel like oh I've woken up to realities and injustices and all that, and then I I keep waking up further and further and further. It's just. Uh, it's you know I'm not I'm not the kind of person who uh, professes to be woke on any level, but you know I feel like I I, I feel like I'm and I just want to go back to the times when the thing that upset me most was when people didn't have their TV set to the right aspect ratio. You know I just <laughs> yes that would be a good that used to be that used to be the height of what was going on. In life, in like, I get enraged if I went to a friend's house and they put on their TV and it was still set to the dynamic, uh, you know, retail floor setting where the colors are weird and it makes everything look like a crappy yeah. soap opera. That used to be, yeah. you know, the thing that just boiled my blood the most. <laughs> and I'm, I miss that. Uh, I miss that ignorance. I miss it. <laughs> but here we are. I hear you. Here we are. Yes, and I'm up in an area now, you know, coming from New York City and having a much more liberal, uh, not only set of friends, but in a neighborhood. I mean, my, my congresswoman is AOC, so that kind of reflects the area I was in to a much more conservative area of the state, even though it's a blue state. There's definitely more conservative areas in it. And one of the things I was going to try to do even before I got up here was try to be able to talk with someone like my brother-in-law, who is a little bit more conservative and maybe uh, uh, doesn't exactly have like the same outlook that I do, uh, and not have my blood go from zero to sixty uh, in a heartbeat uh, because I think they're all idiots. So still going to try to do that, but now this whole other layer of protests and that ridiculousness comes on top of it, because of course they all just see looters and rioters and not the actual point behind it. So. They don't. They but they must know that they must know that a man was murdered. They you've seen the footage. I mean, do they ignore that and make it about looting or? Or do you think they just no? I don't like what think is they the? It. I think they just have the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know, they're just looking at things in the wrong way, uh, and thing see things that only directly affect them, and they have sympathy uh, for the situation that others are going through. But at the end of the day, they're really only concerned about their square footage, and uh, if it doesn't directly affect them. Uh, you know, they're not scared of being stopped and harassed by cops, but they are scared that somebody's going to come wreck their shit. So, mm. yeah, that's the way. Have you considered? Have you considered starting a peaceful protest right in the house, and then have it escalate into rioting, and then loot the house yourself to make them like realize, you know, how the problems are really in their in their own backyard, and they have to clean that up first before. You know, they can get mad at other people? I tried. You know, I had a, I, I got a poster board and, and I uh, wrote a, a clever slogan on there. And then just stood in the middle of the living room, just holding it up. 
And you know what? Uh-huh. It was weird because no one really seemed to pay attention. They all just, they all just kind of walked around me and went and got dinner and then sat down and watched, uh, another episode of uh, Celebrity Family Feud. And I just didn't, so I, I was trying to instigate. Maybe it is I need to just go ahead and escalate to the next thing and maybe break the TV and see what happens. That's, you pull the TV down off the stand and let, how big is it, the TV? It's a, it's a pretty big one. It's like a 70-incher. So, you know, I think that would get a reaction. Oh, uh, yeah. Just be careful there aren't any small children uh, near where you're pulling it down because those big TVs, they can crush a, a small child. And I do have a small child, so I really do need to watch out for that. So. Yeah. I'll yeah. have to figure out Unless it's... To through that plan and, and see what the best uh, path forward is. It might hurt a pet as well, but but if there's a pet that's dear to the people that you're you're trying to make aware, uh, maybe that's a, a wake up call. Like, oh, Brit killed the dog with a TV. Maybe we should start paying attention to what's going on in the world. Yeah, that's a big leap, though. You know, that's I would think that they would be mostly just kind of focused on the death of the puppy such like everybody else is with the riots and maybe they can start to see the comparison but i don't know death of a puppy might uh, might just overwhelm everything i don't know well it, is it a puppy or a full grown dog it's a puppy they have a, literally a 10 week old puppy oh so well that's going to send a v- it's going to send a very clear message brit i don't know why you're dragging your heels on this true You've made me see the light. See, I'm so glad I invited you on the podcast today. So I can talk about this out and really, really get, get to the core of where my, my uh, beliefs need to be laid. Uh, oh, but wait. Just to, uh, just to be sure, your, your in-laws, are none of them are John Wick. This isn't John Wick's puppy, no. is it? No. Okay, then you're in the clear. Kill that puppy. You, Kill it. Yeah. <laughs> You don't really engage them. Maybe they are, and I just don't know about it. I've been weary ever since the the first John Wick to do anything with dogs. This seems like a better safe than sorry situation. Do you find a lot of strange coins around the house? No. Uh, But I've only been here like three days, so I haven't really done a lot of coin research. Well, look and see if there's weird coins, and then you know whether or not they're in the assassins. You know what is what cult? What is it? A weird society, underground society. Uh, but if you don't find them, then I'd, I'd say you're they good. Have their own, they have their own uh, hotel, so it's not really underground per se. And they seem to well. I mean, it's in the movies act with impunity. Like there doesn't seem to be a real law order presence in any of those movies. Uh, Without them dying, of course. But. That's true. It's like uh, it's like the MPAA, you know, Hollywood polices itself, and the the assassins police themselves as well. When I said underground, though, I wasn't. I didn't mean literal underground. Although uh, although Lawrence Fishburne is literally underground, but I mean, I meant a minute figuratively underground. But I, I like the skulls. Over the fact that they have a hotel, so it's a little. That's why it's, it's a bit strange to me. Well, I mean, it's like the skulls. You, did you ever see the skulls, the film? Yes, uh, quite a while ago, but I, I, I But that's an underground society. But the buildings that they meet in are above ground buildings. Uh, they're fancy uh, buildings, but it's an underground secret society. And I feel like this is similar. Ah, so more of a term than anything else is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you like the skulls? The film, the skulls. <laughs> uh, I I believe I was uh, heavily. Uh, uh, under the influence of something at the time, so it all seemed good. Uh, I have not reviewed the film to see if, perhaps in a more sober state, it um, it might uh, not fare as well. But uh, I'd rather just keep the blissful reenactment of the movie in my head the way it was. Uh, yeah, some it's not. Yeah, maybe you don't revisit it. As Skulls for me is an important movie, and I I watch it once a month really? without fail. Yeah, it's sort of my Bible, 
you know, because I don't read, so I'm not going to have a book sure. as a Bible. I have no. the skulls as my Bible. No. Is there a certain day? Is it like a religious day, like a Sunday for you? Is there a certain day in the month that you do it, or is it just when you, you feel it, the need? It's the first Thursday of every month Thursday I watch the skulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't recall, is the day Thursday important in the film at all, or is that just the, the day you have to pick? Well, I picked it because it's Thor's day. And it's the the day of Thor, who's a god. And to me, skulls, the skulls are my gods. Joshua Jackson, and those are my gods. So that's sort of, that's why I picked that day. I mean, it's not an organized religion. It's just me. It's my own religion. Uh, you know, so I don't owe to, anything to anybody. Have you ever tried to convert anybody to it? Perhaps your son, who, who might have exposure to it on a monthly basis. He's not uh, come around to possibly your point of view on the whole thing? Well, uh, I mean, in the end, when he uh, grows up and leaves the house, he's going to make his own decisions. But I've raised him uh, on the skulls the same way my mother raised me on the Catholic Church. He has to take part in it. Uh, and, uh, and, we, and there's a weekly school uh, on Thursdays. Uh, you know, the first Thursday of the month, we watch the film and we discuss it and we, uh, we speak in tongues and we do all this uh, crazy stuff. And that's, uh, you know, it's really, it fills your soul up and it makes you feel alive. But then and then a weekly, uh, a weekly uh, get together about it as well on Thursdays. Yeah, we have a, a, an hour set aside for theological discussions uh you know, revolving around the skulls and the mm. mythos of the skulls. Mm. Very nice. And, and then we have, we have around the house, we have statues of Craig T. Nelson, William Peterson, Joshua Jackson, all the big players yeah. uh, in the skulls. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's really focused me, That's you know, and I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't feel the anxieties about society and the world that I used to before I got involved with my skull's religion. Yeah. Very good. Now, tell me this. Like the Catholic religion, <laughs> do you have any sort of beverage or food involved in your ceremonies? Or is it, is it just basically the viewing and the, the discipline that you're in? Um, well, for uh, my son, the, the, there's a root beer that he has. Uh, while he watches the skulls. For me, it's usually a tumbler of tequila um, with <laughs> with a beer back. Uh, some kind of Mexican lager. Uh, it fluctuates. Like uh, it's whatever's or, cheapest. Ah, gotcha. Sure. Or a, a Dos Equis. Whatever's on sale. Yeah, gotcha. Corona, yeah. perhaps. Gotcha. Right. And and Joshua Jackson comes by the house uh, every month, and he blesses he blesses the beverages for me and my family. Nice. He's been very good about this. He's not making any money outside of the residuals. That I'm sure he makes a lot of residual money off the skulls, but he's like respects that we've made a religion out of it, and he's not you know he's not being like uh, some weird religious gurus taking advantage of a family who worships a movie he's in. He's just supportive, but we look at him as a high priest, you know, so he can bless our beverages yeah oh that's good yeah that's good that's uh incredibly uh fortunate for you guys that you have that sort of uh association with the film being able to be brought right into the the house like that yeah the hello who's that who's that this is my daughter uh nola that's my friend todd who's on my podcast today um Hi, Nola. Hi. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> it's good to see you. Have you print stuff out? We don't have a printer, so I can't print stuff out. So be down your hand. Okay. Okay. So sorry about the interruption. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, the skulls, of course. Nola's, uh, a, Nola's a cool name. Does that uh, mean New Orleans, Louisiana? Is she named uh, after that? She is. uh, In fact, uh, her uh, full name is Nola Rose Layfield, and it's not uh, rose as in the flower. It is rose as in the verb, uh, because we, uh, my wife and I, have a very close association to that city and uh, have noticed time and time again that no matter what you throw at that city, they always get back up. 
so we wanted to incorporate that into her name. So uh, her name is Nola Rose. Hopefully that will uh, empower her at some point in her life uh, just by her name. So, And it sounds good. It rolls if you had a... It's a great name. It really is. If you had a son, would you name him Detroit or Houston? Like uh, what Sacramento, would your... I always thought was a good name for a boy. <laughs> uh, Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie is a good one. <laughs> oh, that's a great name yes, for yeah. a boy. Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> Uh, or Intercourse. Isn't there a town named is. Intercourse? Intercourse, Pennsylvania. We would just call him Dick, you know, just for short. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, there's all sorts of city names. Uh, we have a list, as a matter of fact, uh, that we were choosing from. Uh, and in a drunken stupor, we ended up with NOLA. Uh, basically, you know, New Orleans drunken. It just kind of all flowed together that way. Uh, it was like kind of on the, the you know, we were there. She was in labor, actually, when I, uh, I decided on it. And, uh, you know, I was being the traditional uh, fatherly person uh, in the waiting room just getting drunk, uh, hoping that everything went well in the room. <laughs> and uh, I got, they gave me the paper. Did you have cigars? Did you have a box of cigars? Of course, of course. And uh, they uh, mistakenly <laughs> gave me the paperwork to fill out. Uh, and that's how it came to pass. Uh, had no input from my <laughs> wife whatsoever. And, uh, I guess I. Well, she was busy. Yeah, she was busy. Uh, but you know, I wasn't. So I guess why I got the paperwork. So you were, you were just doing your part. That's all. I was just doing Golly. what you told me to do, which is you know, kind of the, the the rhythm of my life. Basically, you know what I'm saying. So you're. Um, you're a theater guy. You 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 run some kind of theater. I run an off-Broadway theater uh, called uh, the Soho Playhouse. I also produce theater, and uh, if the statute of limitations hasn't run out, uh, I still consider myself an actor. Uh, but you know that's a very loose term in my life at this point. Uh, <laughs> much in the way podcasting <laughs> is a loose term in my life right now. Real? So. <laughs> How really? You really, you can't tell. You can't tell. It seems like you you take it very seriously. Well, I do. Uh, much like my acting career, you know, uh, I have to. I'm actually contractually obliged to, even though I'm not doing any acting, to take the acting seriously because my father paid a lot of money to send me to school for that. So, uh, right. Contractually obliged to at least until he passes away to take that aspect of my life still seriously. Yeah, the audience, uh, your audience, might not be aware, but we we lived together uh, in New York for a year. We um, did. And you and you were very kind to me. You helped me through a serious problem. I uh, I had some kind of mental break and thought that my box of Captain Crunch was talking to me. Yes, it was. And a, you, it was uh, a tough time. Uh, but we worked together. Uh, we got you um, the right kind of help, uh, and never at all took advantage of the fact that you thought your Captain Crunch was talking to you. We didn't. We we were sympathetic. Uh, we did right. create the voice of Captain and, and taunt you with it uh, uh, late at night when you were trying to sleep, or even early in the morning when you weren't quite awake yet. It was. Uh, it was really a group healing session with uh, you, myself, and our other roommates uh, at the time. It was, it was sad. The one, I'm the, glad you worked through it. So. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys helped me through it. It was crazy to spend uh, so much of that year hearing the voice of Captain Crunch in my head, and, and, and you guys really helped me through it. Well, as you recall, yeah. it, was, it was a rather strange year in, in total. That was not the only strange occurrence. Uh, that happened that year. Uh, there was uh, uh, our fourth roommate who came in late in the game, who was uh, oh. who we bonded with uh, so much so uh, that we didn't feel like we could be around him uh, very much, and and tried several ways of getting him out of the actual uh, <laughs> door. Door the, the, the What was his name? Dave? Dave. Was that his name? Dave. And thank God you and I were in the room together. And John, uh, 
Probably. Yeah, our other roommate who is not who is John, John's an angelic person. He's he's oh, as he sweet was, as pie. He was about the only and he got taken that guy uh, for longer he, than he, he needed to. What was super weird about that? Brit, for me, was this man, Dave, if I'm remembering correctly, was a Korean-American. Yes. And when we, we were watching, there was a show uh, on late-night television when we were in college. The, it, was, yes. it, was a, for the audience, it was a very intellectual... Was on early in the 90s, a dating show, I believe it was what it was. Loosely referred yeah. to it was it was a show for intellectuals, and yes. I it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was called Studs. Studs, I believe it was something like that. I mean, it was a uh, a uh, dating type show, which uh, was the precursor to all of the fabulous Island and uh, Bachelor shows that are prevalent these yeah. days. In which you know. The main purpose was for the guy uh, to, or girl uh, they did have either or as the main person but to have sex with as many of the other contestants as possible and then go on the show to talk about it. right it and was sort of like a one night a week was the African American night uh, they had which uh, all of the contestants were African American um, and I think that's where our problems with Dave started if I, if I recall correctly well, what I remember was as we were watching uh, Studs, which is something we probably shouldn't have been doing anyway. <laughs> well, it was college. But <laughs> it was really kind of a gross program. But but uh, but uh, he came out, and it was African-American night on Studs, as you said. And he started – it was so weird because we're just sitting there. We're drinking beers and looking at the shit show. Yeah. Uh, and and we were probably joking around about unrelated things, but he came out and he started just ripping on the contestants, dropping the most like racist. old school backwards racist jokes about black people you yeah. can imagine. Yes, and how did you can imagine program and how did they get into school and it was it was everything and everything it was the, everything in the kitchen sink. And I recall uh, that you handled it uh, quite well uh, and merely uh, turned to him at the time and informed him that uh, your father happened to be Uh, African-American. That's right. You were very upset by that. And he, he at the time, was very confused uh, because of your your quite pale complexion. He didn't quite know how that was possible. And then, do you recall the, the the reasoning behind that that you gave him? Can you can you tell our listening uh, viewers? Uh, well, I remember like after, because he like I, I was washing dishes when he was doing this, and I remember throwing like a plastic cup into the sink and turning around and telling him, "Do you think for a second that maybe somebody here is offended?" Uh, and we're all, I mean, you and I are super white. John's partially white, so. He was thinking he no problem. He's impressing the the guys with all this racism. And when I said my dad was black, because I figured that was because at first I was like, "Do you think anybody would be offended by this here?" Maybe. And he was like, "Why?" And yeah. that's why I said my dad is black, which is obviously not actually true. But then, like, he went into panic mode. Yeah, he got that. Like he was confused. Uh, look in his eyes and ask you how that could be. Uh, yeah, he well, he pulled me. He pulled me into his room to say he was sorry. Like he was genuinely like his face was, you know that face that people get when they're fucked and they're busted and they there's no getting out of this except for groveling and saying sorry. So that's what he was doing. But then he he because he was confused about how it could be. Um, he asked me, and I quote: "So you were adopted." And that's when I said, no, asshole, my mom is albino. Yes. And it all balanced out. And that's how you ended up looking the way you look. Yes. Uh, and we, it was, I think, around that point that we decided we couldn't take Dave much longer. <laughs> no, we tried to get him out, and he and would not go. We tried because on top of being ultra-racist, he was also a homophobe. 
Uh, yeah. And so uh, myself and our good friend uh, Jack Terry uh, then proceeded to uh, portray ourselves as a, uh, a gay couple uh, to surround him with as much of his uh, negative feelings as possible, hoping that, in fact, he would then ask for, to be transferred out of the room, uh, which unfortunately did not end up working. Um, and I spent a lot of a lot of nights with uh, Jack's hand on my knee in our living room uh, <laughs> in, in, in the efforts to make that happen. Uh, we even went as far as to go complain to the dorm uh, about it, and they said that he could not be transferred. A night. How how many times did Jack give you a handy just handy. to convince Dave that it was? You guys were a couple. You know, the weird thing was is that it, uh, I don't know where the number stopped being to get Dave out and started just becoming like a normal activity that we did um, on a nightly basis. I, the lines get blurred there. Um, yeah. I think it was definitely up in the tens of times that, that it happened uh, in efforts to get uh, Dave to <laughs> vacate the premises. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Dave was a listener to uh, my podcast and he might be hearing all this for the first time and not reali- and only now putting the pieces together of how <laughs> fucked up his, his year of college was with us <laughs> and why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't we have our six foot six friend Greg do one of those, uh, like came in and was your boyfriend or something for yes. a minute or john's or something i believe we got into there was a lover's triangle that we were trying to put together uh to right. use dave even more that that, that yes uh our friend greg uh, six foot six i believe greg uh and this mm-hmm. was uh i believe uh after the fact that he got drunk and passed out in your bed and, and urinated himself in, in your bed that's a different yeah, story yeah that was that, that that was the night uh, I came home from a pool hall. I was playing pool, and uh, when I got home, you, this is what you said. You said, uh, "I'm sorry. Uh, there's bad news and more bad news." Yeah. And I said, "Okay, what's the bad news?" And you went, "Well, Greg passed out in your bed," and I went, "Fuck! God damn it!" and then what's the bad news? And you're like, well, he pissed the bed. (laughs) Like (laughs) he he ruined it all. He ruined it all, including a comforter that my mother had made with her own hands. That's true. And, um, it was also, uh, I had to sit up. I remember that, um, it had happened. And, uh, I, I would just want to go to bed. It was Super Bowl night, and we had had a party in our dorm room. It was a horrible Super Bowl. That had gone wrong. It gone ro- it gone wrong too. The party, if I recall, well, somebody because somebody brought their a, girlfriend. It was a blowout of a game to begin with, uh, and then yes, somebody brought a girlfriend, and she drank all of our beer, and it was just going <laughs> completely off the rails. And I wanted nothing more. Than and she got the and fuck out of our it, apartment. Uh, and so do you remember what happened with her in the bathroom? Do you remember what happened with her in the bathroom? Toothpaste, I believe, was involved and squirted all over the place. Is that because you had and she toothpaste? Yeah, she was in there with her boyfriend, and they were having sex. And we needed to get in the bathroom and pee, yeah. so we were banging on the door. And they angrily finally let let me in, and then she started attacking me with shaving cream. And toothpaste, and our entire bathroom was covered floor to ceiling with and a shaving sure. cream and toothpaste. And what the listeners need to know is that uh, we had a very unique dorm room in the fact that we had a handicap uh, dorm room, which means we had a very big bathroom, uh, easily twice huge. the size of any kind of normal bathroom. It was as big as the living room that we had. Yes, it was, uh, if not bigger. Um, and it was just, uh, it, it was basically two rooms uh, slapped together to make one huge bathroom. And it was co- completely yeah. covered with shaving cream and toothpaste because of this insane woman. And that was a rough year. <laughs> you know, a, well, hearing all these stories again, I'm starting to recall what a rough year 
That was for us, our sophomore year in college. <laughs> yeah, huh. it wasn't. There was a lot of shit that happened that year that when you think about it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure we're not even getting to the half of it. But, you know. No, I think that was the same year I got mugged for a slice of pizza. No, because you were in your Jane Street apartment when you got mugged for a piece of pizza. If I recall correctly. No, that wasn't my apartment. I was going to my girlfriend's apartment at the yes. time. Yes. And that was, I'm sure that was sophomore year. Ah, you did not have a um, sophomore year, did you? Peeing. No, there's a lot of... Lo- falsely accused of, of racial <laughs> overtones. And yes, yes, it was, like I said, a very tough year for, for all of It was all. crazy. It's a crazy time. And it was... It was before Billy's opened, so there wasn't anywhere for me to go because I couldn't. Do you remember that place? The bar that was right. Did you the go there? Are you talking about Billy's Top? Yeah, Billy's. Oh yes, oh yes. I went to Billy's. Back no, there. not Billy's Top. The one that was yeah. actually on. Where was it? Right around the corner from the. Yeah, top. and it cost a dollar. You could. It cost a dollar for a bottomless glass of beer. They just got the crappiest uh, keg that they could. Charged everybody a dollar, and once the keg kicked, that was it. That was the end of the, the dollar beer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Vinny yeah. Tunes, I went there. Uh, don't remember leaving very often, but remember going in. Uh, there were a few <laughs> bars like that. And you know Billy's is still there. It's one of the very few bars. Is it really? Our time in that uh, area. Uh, yes, well, it was Billy's. And it is it still owned by that Billy guy? Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, it changed its name from Billy's to something else. Why we were still in school. But that, whatever the oh, okay. name of that bar is, that bar is still there. Uh, it's one of the very few that was still there. Uh, at the old NYU. Yeah. Twer. Well, I remember I would go, I would be, uh, when, when I lived up on 29th Street, uh, I would walk with my roommate uh, to rehearsals in the village and we'd walk by Billy's, and more than once, Billy himself would be out front and be like, hey, guys, hey, hey, what's up? Because he knew us because we went there so often. He's like, Todd and Andy, what are you guys doing? And we were like, oh, we're, uh, you know, we're going down to a rehearsal. And he's like, oh, come in. I'll give you free, uh, free booze. Come in. Come on. And w- there were so many times we never got to rehearsal. We just didn't because Billy. I remember a lot of, uh, uh, of your better performances. To do with Billy and Eddie Lee during rehearsal time. Uh, because that was also the year that all of us were in uh, one of the biggest shows at NYU all together as sophomores, which was unheard of at NYU at the time. Oh, right. With the crazy that was the... director. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. For those of you who, who don't know, obviously, uh, Todd and I went to college together. And at NYU, in the process at NYU, if you were uh, taking acting, was the first year you couldn't uh, audition for any of the shows. Uh, they had to break you down in order to get rid of all your bad actory habits to then build you back up into an, a more NYU type of form. Uh, and then, only then, were you able to go on one of the uh, shows that was uh, produced by NYU. And the main stage shows is what they called them, the big shows that were produced by the uh, theater school itself, uh, not by the individual studios that we all went to, but by the, the college, the university. Uh, and usually the Tisch School. Tisch School of the Arts. Uh, and that was usually very uh, hard to get into, those shows. It was always very much uh, upperclassmen, although undergraduates. Uh, mm-hmm. It was always the people who had more experience. And then these cra- they got this crazy Bulgarian director to come in to do. Uh, a Dario Faux show, and he um, cast all of us as inexperienced actors. Uh, and so you, uh, and myself, <laughs> and about uh, half a dozen of our other close friends uh, were all cast in the same show together. Uh, and it was quite That's fun. true, including uh, Stephen Falk, Stephen who Falk. I still work with to this day. Yes. And our roommate, John Vasquez, and uh, the aforementioned Gregory Jones, our friend Gregory. Um, and everyone who was associated with the university thought it was a horrible show. <laughs> but we loved it. <laughs> fine work in that show. Uh, so yes, you were- why did why did the 
Why did the people, like, people in the university, like, who worked there didn't like the show? It was, was that it? I think because he went, he bucked the system so much in casting uh, younger actors, and he did not, uh, I guess, play by the rules, uh, and very much, uh, yeah, there was some backlash against him and the show, and it was kind of discredited that year as not... They tried to forget that it was actually part of the main stage season. Just, it was the, uh, the ugly stepchild of that year. I'm sure there is absolutely no mention of that show ever being done at NYU. Now, if you would go back and look in the annals of time, uh, that is just skipped over. They, they, don't, they didn't have a spring production. <laughs> it was just a big empty space. It was a very the, uh, strange show, to be sure. Yes, and to you were the sure. narrator. You didn't really appear on stage with us. You were in a booth, if I recall correctly, in the back yep. of the auditorium. I appeared on televisions. Yes. I was on televisions yes. on the and stage. You interacted yeah. with us. There was definitely interaction to be had, but we never appeared on stage together. In fact, I don't know, were we ever no. in a show together? Were we ever in a show together? I have to think we might have been. Uh, like actually I, I don't, together. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, other than in classes, I don't think we were in a show together. No, no. Uh, that's weird. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, but I didn't do the, the, the last year show with our studio. Because yes. I got mad. You did. Because you got, uh, you didn't get cast in the role I believe you wanted to get, or everybody assumed you would get cast in. Once again, somebody going against... Well, and more so... Yeah, and more so, too, that not only did I not get the part that I felt like I should get, but the the part he gave me was, like, two lines. And I had done two lines the previous year in The Cherry Torture um, <laughs> and learned I don't want to be in a two-line role in a show directed by friggin' Alan Langdon or Ernie What's-His-Face because that's a boring trip, you guys. It is boring. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I was in the chair with you, but yes, I, uh, if, if I recall correctly, because a lot of college faces blurry. Uh, but I, I believe I played the father of uh, our friend, the six foot six Gregory Jones, was my son in the show that you sat. In. Um, so obviously, casting realistically was not really what they were going for. Uh, with the Rhymers of Eldridge, no. that was the show. Rhymers of Eldridge. Oh right. oh right, right, right. Do you remember uh, when we did the the Archangels show? Uh, when the 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 chick running the board in the booth like took an electric shock, like a massive amount of voltage. Yes. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, and almost had to go to the hospital. I don't think she was. Uh, she got knocked out for uh, like a few minutes or something like that. Am I am I remembering that correctly? Wait, I, I think she was unconscious for a couple seconds, but what happened was when she got electrocuted, it shorted everything. So everything, most everything went out, like the sound and the lights were all out. But because my weird uh, closed circuit TV system was on a different, uh, had a different power source, that was the only thing that was still on. It was mid-show. And so... I, I was like, what's happening? Why is nothing happening? And I'm like, just kind of improving, ad-libbing with the audience because I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then she came up because I was in a, I was in the, you took a ladder up into my constructed booth where I did my bits from. And she cl climbed up the ladder. She kind of peeked over the landing and I see her and her hair is fucking standing like straight up. It was like a cartoon because she'd been electrocuted. It was just like a cartoon. It's like s smoking. She looks completely out of it. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to improvise for a while because we've got a problem. <laughs> and I remember us being so, in the, the back, uh, backstage going, not knowing what was going on. Uh, just no just uh, Todd, Todd has derailed the show, taken over, refuses to stop talking. Which, granted, none of us were surprised by. We were just, we were quite honestly surprised it took you that long to do it. Uh, but then we found out that it was actually uh, extra circumstances that were dictating that that was to go on. 
Um, that must have been so weird to be backstage. Because I went on for about 15 minutes, I believe. Took them 15 minutes, and I was talking to the audience back and forth, doing crowd work, which I wasn't at all qualified to do. I remember at one point, I, I pretended to have an orgasm with the audience. I mean, that's how desperate it was. Yes, I think. Do you, <laughs> do you, do you guys... feel like any of your uh, the work that you've done since then can be credited to that 15 minutes of, of vamping that you had to do during that show? Um, I, I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far, but it it, it did. Uh, it's it certainly helped uh, cement a certain amount of confidence in myself. That whole experience, because if you remember when we were at the table read, he hadn't given. He just cast us because everybody was playing multiple parts. Yeah. So he didn't tell anybody what they were playing till we sat down at the table read and he's going around and he's assigning everybody their characters and everybody's getting three to five characters i would say and then he gets around to me and he, and he just gives me one character that he calls dj uh as in disc jockey he called him disc jockey i think yeah. uh which doesn't make any sense because i was not spinning records or doing anything like that but well, but it was just that line was uh, very confused by a lot of americanism inappropriately quite often right and didn't understand percentages and things like that but he he did he did this thing and and the dj the disc jockey character that he assigned to me which is my only character was not in the script so after the table read i was so confused as to what because it would get to every now and then he goes the dj will say something here and i'm like what and then he wrote he at one point he wrote me like some suggestions of lines and it was in it, broken English trying to trying to figure out what he meant in Bulgarian in English and it didn't make any sense. <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know if that might be why I got cast in the show Becker. Now that I think about it. <laughs> if there's a direct that's the one. If there's a direct correlation, that's the one. Because when I did Becker and I auditioned for that show, the the character that that I got on the show was a, a Chinese menu delivery guy, like a guy who puts menus on doors and stuff. And it was written for a Chinese person, and it was written in broken English. Like that was the joke. So somebody somewhere, even back then, was like, "Yeah, we. I don't think we can do this. This seems racist." <laughs> and then they had like an emergency casting call, but they hadn't rewritten the part. So I was auditioning for a menu delivery guy with broken English <laughs> lines. <laughs> And I was like, do you guys, I am not going to do this. I'm just going to say whatever I want. And then I did, and then I got the part. They obviously wrote it, but they should have, like, just let me go, man. It all goes back to college. It all goes back to If they had, if if they had let me loose on Becker, that show would still be on the air. But they (laughs) fucked up. It's true, it's true. So, uh, speaking of your work, uh, you have done uh, much work over the years. Is there any, any uh, particular role or show that you would consider your favorite or your, your best work that you've done? Um, I mean, I think at this point for me, I mean, the two uh, playing uh, Dr. Vernon Barbara on You're the Worst and playing uh, Murphy Dunn in the no-budge indie movie Fuzz Track City are two of, uh, I, I, I would say, my my proudest bits of work. But also, I did a show um, that uh, nobody watched. It, you know, it was like a one-season show called Pure Genius with... Uh, uh, Dermot Mulroney, you know that dude. Yes. Um, I mean, not so who I was a fan. Yeah, I was a fan. I'm I, a longtime fan of Dermot Mulroney ever since uh, career opportunities, really. And uh, so it was cool to work with him. But I, you know, I was. It was a. It was sort of a emotionally demanding role. It wasn't funny, and I, I'm I'm proud of that that work I did on that show too. But you know, nobody saw it. <laughs> Doesn't mean it was a good work. Though. Yeah, it was great. But uh, I, I am excellent, is the point I'm trying to make. I'm an excellent, excellent actor. And as soon as Hollywood opens... 
back up, they should hire me right away because I really need to get get to work. I'm sure there are people already. Would you? Well, you know, I maybe I hope I hope I really do. What is uh? What did you cancel? Like, what was on the theater's uh, docket that you had to cancel? Uh, we had a show coming in from New Zealand. Uh, a lot of the work I've done in theater is what you would, some might refer to as fringe theater. Actually, I would refer to it because I have run a lot of fringe theater festivals uh, and offshoots of fringe theater festivals. So smaller work that might not uh, speak to a larger, say, more commercial audience, uh, but definitely has a lot of niche in it. And we had just finished over uh, winter uh, doing one of these festivals called the uh, Fringe Encore Series, in which we take uh, theater uh, pieces from fringe festivals from all over the world. Fringe festivals happen in almost every country in the world. And myself and the artistic director of the theater uh, go around looking for shows and pick the best of each festival and invite them to come to New York and perform uh, in fall, late fall, uh, winter. And then out of what usually is about 20 different shows that we invite from all over the world, we pick one winner and then put on a full off-Broadway production of whatever show that happens to be. Uh, this year it was a uh, very uh, cool show from New Zealand called Wild Dogs Under My Skirt, uh, which was uh, about Samoan women uh, in New Zealand. Uh, very much, if you are familiar with the work, uh, American work, uh, Four Color Girls When the Rainbow, who are, com uh, I'm going to totally butcher the title here, Four Color Girls Who Are uh, uh, Thinking About Suicide When the Rainbow Is Not Enough, wrong title, but uh, very much like that choral poem, uh, but very interesting work. We were supposed to be having them coming in, uh, and actually the theater I run has about three different stages, so that was not our main stage. And we had several other shows going on in our smaller spaces as well. But literally the whole thing came down within two days of everything kind of starting going haywire. Uh, once they shut down the schools in New York City, we knew we were not far behind. Uh, and then they shut down Broadway and that kind of put the kibosh on all of theater in New York. Uh, so in the matter of two to four days, everything went from full speed to a complete shutdown stuff going on in New York City, especially theater. And now we face uh, a situation where we're not quite sure when we're ever going to be able to come back. Uh, we are fortunate in the fact that we have, our theater is actually located in a townhouse, uh, and we control the whole townhouse, so not only do we have our main stage, but we have a theater in the basement, we have a, a space up on the second floor where we, usually, we might have some events, and so we're trying to figure out a way where we can open uh, and do some kind of perhaps immersive performances that we could do while social distancing and the like, whatever will actually become uh, once we get to a point in New York City where uh, we can start having gatherings. But we assume that right. we're going to come with some kind of caveat of social distancing. And only so many people in a room and so far apart, etc., etc. So we're trying to deal with the idea of, of being able to put on a performance but adhere to those kind of guidelines at the same time. So we're trying uh, because we have a, a unique situation in our complex where we could possibly do something where as Broadway we'll have a much longer road to coming back than we will. So Oh yeah, that makes sense. It's exciting. Uh, it's trying something new and trying something different. To continue on, uh, so we are excited about that. But it doesn't look like anything's going to be able to happen there until fall, uh, which is why you know I'm hosting a podcast now. So, and I'm in. A yeah, well, that's this is uh, where all uh, uh, white male entertainers eventually end up is uh, podcasts. That's that's where everybody winds up yeah. uh, in our in our particular category. Yes. Um, have you considered? I would. I would happily uh, uh, allow you to use my image in a hologram situation oh. if you want to have, like a hologram one man show oh, really? uh, with me. Do you have a one man show ready? 
Um, well, I could do my old one-man show, uh, or I, what I was thinking is I would just be nude and and sit on various fruits. Oh, uh, a little, yes. I think that's been done before, uh, but well, uh, well, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I forgot to mention, I'm nude. I cover myself in chocolate, liquid uh, chocolate, yeah, and then I sit on fruits. Differentiating your... And vegetables. Oh, wow. Now, what? Now, uh, that's, I believe that's been done. And, and various meats. Are they cured meats? Because <laughs> um, that is important. Are they what? What kind of meats? I'm sorry. Cured meats? Are they... Are they uh, Dope. Oh, they're yeah, yeah. They're this is cured uh, or, or they're organic, uh, free range meats. Um, yeah, it's a hundred percent healthy. Okay, well maybe we can do something like that. I'll have to, uh, to get uh, Kraken with my team and see if that's something we can put together. Maybe just we could just harken back to the whole Archangel thing and just put you on a closed circuit TV from across the country. Yeah, that's. That'd be simple, like an old tube TV, like it kind of have a retro feel to it. Yeah. Although I think a hologram, a hologram would be cool. But if you're gonna cheap out, that's cool. We can do the TV thing. Well, yes, it's theater, so we don't have large budgets, really, especially after a you know whole virus uh, shutting down all of you know, the economy. What is the like the the average cost for one of your productions is what a like low budget, you're right? Like so, it's like four to five million. Yeah. Uh, no, not quite that much. It is still up there in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But in the off-Broadway world, uh, we don't ever quite. Uh, well, you can't get up to about, around a million, but that is infrequent for a musical. Uh, those two. Uh, that's, that's the price tag for those kind of things. We usually tend to go for the half a mil area, probably a little less than that sort of budget. Don't you think um, that musicals should be illegal? Like we shouldn't, they shouldn't be allowed to produce musicals ever. Uh, I I am just of the uh, thought process that it's fine to put on musicals as long as you don't use the musical in the title. Like you can't have you know Jurassic Park the musical or uh, you know and that's, oh. that's all the rage that, that people will go is that take any source material. At is all. that a the office. Is that real, Jurassic Park the musical? Is it real? It was. There was one called Triassic Park the musical. Uh, the Office uh, had a parody of The Office the musical. It's any basically any television show. Friends, the musical. Um, so yes, that that's real. How do you do a how do you do a parody of a satire? I don't get it. Like The Office is satire. How do you parody satire? Well, you take the satire and you put music. Basically, is all they did, and it was more of a oh look at people trying to be the characters, and then coming up with funny songs, riffing off of what actually went on in the show. Um, it was for a very specific audience, usually people from New Jersey, basically. See, I, like you're that that's that should all be illegal. That should be illegal. That's my point in time. Yeah, yeah, and and people who are found guilty should be prosecuted, and uh, punished to the full extent of the law. Full extent of theatrical law, at the very least, which is yeah. in some ways much more strict than actual law. If you didn't already know that. No, I I didn't realize that. Yeah, I did not realize that. Uh, a lot has changed. Have you? Would you consider uh, a one-man show? Uh, when you reopen a one-man show starring Steven Seagal? Of course. We've been after uh, Mr. Seagal for years uh, to come and do a show at our theater. But, uh, you know, he's busy training uh, officers now, I believe, uh, as well as, as, of course, continuing to star in his own brand of high entertainment. Well, what if you dangled the carrot that you want to make it a a blues review show because you know he's a blues musician I was unaware of his uh, foray into the uh, blues market so you have not heard Steven Seagal's songs from the Crystal Cave no is that a, that's an actual thing huh he has two blues albums and that's the, that's the high end uh, 
uh, one with like a lot of production value, and then he's got a more uh, pared down, like classic uh, Roadhouse blues album that features songs like uh, "Alligator Ass." Oh. And does he play an instrument on these uh, albums, or is he merely the singer? Uh, Steven Seagal is a guitarist as well as a singer in his blues band. And if you get songs from the Crystal Cave, let me tell you, he he spent a lot of money getting... They like Bo Diddley's on that album. <laughs> so so he spent some real money. He like really cares about the blues. That's good. That's good. Well, hopefully he's made it back. Uh, obviously what I would hope to consider the massive sales of such an album. Mm. Mm. I, I, what I have to assume came, came through for him uh, as in forms of uh, audience support. I'm sure he's made millions because everything he touches turns to gold. It's he cannot fail. He cannot fail. He's he's uh, he does great work with uh, Putin in Russia. Uh, he's had a lot of success with sex trafficking uh, from back when he was in uh, Louisiana uh, with his Louisiana cop friends. He's done a lot of great stuff, uh, and is he always succeeds? Always succeeds. Yeah. Uh, he is where others have faltered. Steven Seagal prevails. <laughs> he really does. He cannot be stopped. He cannot. Uh, well, now I have now I have not only tons of theatrical ideas that I must go process, but obviously some uh, needed uh, listening as well. Uh, yeah. Put in the old earbuds while I'm putting together the next one-person show with you, my guest today. Yeah. Yeah, my hologram show. While you're working up my hologram show, make sure you listen to lots of Seagal. That's maybe, maybe we can marry that's how you do it. And have him be the soundtrack to your nude uh, stuffing things in different parts of your body show with Chuck. That would be great. Just an hour of Steven Seagal tunes and me smearing myself with chocolate and sitting on uh, fresh produce. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, tickets will be on sale, too. We'll try to put a link in the comment section of the podcast uh, so you can scoop those up as soon as they become available uh, once we, you know, we actually get to get back out to society again. Well, uh, I got I to thank you for having me on your show. It's hey, really you know, been great. I need to thank you uh, for taking the time and coming out here and reminiscing and giving me such good ideas and other various sundry information which I was unaware of. Uh, so yes, uh, for uh, why don't you give everybody your handles? Where where can the people find you out there in the great world? Oh, media? Uh, uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Blursh, Influencer Empire. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Ton Slingdog. Oh, hey, Britt, before we go, I had an idea for a movie. What? Uh, please. That I think maybe. All right, you ready? Yes. So, 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 what happens is, it's like a small island town, right? Mm -hmm. And this uh, big city cop moves to the island and becomes sheriff of the island, right? right. To get away from all the crime and the horrors of the city. Uh, and he brings his family out there. Uh, you know, it's like a Nantucket Martha's Vineyard situation. Uh, and then. Like out of nowhere, this giant shark starts attacking people. So he wants to close the beaches, but the town's mayor does not want the because the Fourth of July is coming up. So he resists, and there's more shark attacks. And then eventually, uh, they do shut the beaches down, and he has to get on a, a, a fisherman's boat with a scientist and a fisherman, and they go out and they try to catch the shark. What do you think? Is, is this uh, a metaphor for the virus that we're going through now? Is this how this all came about? Is that is that where you came through? This is my Corona movie. Yeah. This is my Corona movie. What do you but think? Did, I think the, the big question, though, is do you see us being able to perhaps do more than one of these films? Or do you just see it as a, a I think single you could, movie? Uh, just the story. I see it as a franchise. I see it as a franchise, and, and like I've already, uh, I've already done treatments on four movies: the original, mm -hmm. and then the sequel, mm -hmm. 
uh, which will be a lot like the original, but uh, instead it'll it'll be more of a slasher film with like teenagers on boats, you know, oh. trying to have sex and do drugs and drink beer and stuff, and right. and the shark becomes like a slasher. And then in the third one, where we go super high concept, the shark winds up in a a Sea World type of situation mm. where the shark is uh, terrorizing people at an aquatic amusement park, uh, and then the fourth one. I think to really kick it up a notch, it's got to be the shark is actually uh, cognizant uh, of the people who've uh, killed his family in previous movies, oh, so and he he's getting revenge. Yeah, he holds a grudge, and it's like a revenge on the people who killed the other sharks in the other movies. I, I see you put a lot of thought in this. And, uh, that one should take place in the Bahamas during Junkanoo. Uh, and should star Michael Caine. Junkadoo, yes. Uh, uh, well, uh, we're going to leave it on that note. I'm going to go ponder the man versus shark uh, uh, prospects here and see if we can turn it into something real. Uh, so once again, uh, thank you so much for, for being on the cast today. Uh, I appreciate it. And thank you all out there for, for listening to us. And uh, tune in next time when you will hear someone else's voice other than mine. Uh, Have a good night and talk to you later.